Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. Now, in a moment, we're going to be talking about the fate of one of the biggest pop stars in recent history. I'm talking about Britney Spears. And here's a little reminder of that incredible moment last month when under the California system of conservatorship, Spears finally got to speak about the past 13 years when her father, Jamie Spears, has been in control of her health, her finances, her relationships, and every other aspect of her life. I was told right now in the conservatorship, I'm not able to get married or have a baby. I have a um, ID inside of myself right now, so I don't get pregnant. I wanted to take the ID out so I could start trying to have another baby, but this so-called team won't let me go to the doctor to take it out because they they don't want me to have children, any more children. Um, So basically this conservatorship is doing me way more harm than good. Um, I I deserve to have a life. I've worked my whole life. I deserve to have a two to three year break and just, you know, do what I wanna do. Um, I wish I could stay with you on the phone forever because when I get off the phone with you, all of a sudden, all of I hear, I hear all these no's, no, no, no. And then all of a sudden I get, I feel ganged up on and I feel bullied and I feel left out and alone. And I'm tired of feeling alone. I deserve to have the same rights as anybody does by having a child, a family, any of those things. Later on, we'll be talking to a Britney super fan and to a constitutional lawyer in America about that saga and about what happens next and the wider implications of the Britney Spears story. Before we come to that, I want to congratulate the rowers, of course, Paulo Donovan and Fintan Murphy for their incredible gold, but also the four women who won Ireland's first medal at this Olympics. It was wonderful bronze medal performance from Afrik Kyo, Emer Lam, Fiona Murta and Emily Hegarty in the women's fours in Tokyo. Well done to them. And we send our commiserations also to Sunita Puspur, who put on such a valiant display, and also to Sailing's Annalise Murphy, who staged a huge comeback in sailing and is still in with a chance of a medal. Come on, Ireland. Now, back in 1998, a fresh-faced 16-year-old Britney Spears became an overnight global superstar with the release of her debut single, Hit Me Baby One More Time. She went on to sell over 150 million records, win multiple awards and gain a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. But for nearly half of Spears' impressive career, the singer has not had full control over her life. For the last 13 years, she's been under a conservatorship controlled by her father, Jamie, which gives him the legal right to make decisions on her finances, work commitments, health and personal life. This summer, Spears has been fighting the conservatorship in court, describing the details of her life in a harrowing testimony which shocked fans around the world, including that incredible movement to free Britney. 
In today's episode, I'm joined by Kimberly Well, Professor of Law at the University of Baltimore School of Law and author of the books How to Read the Constitution and Why and What You Need to Know About Voting and Why. Her forthcoming book is Common Sense, A Lawyer's Guide to Solving Problems in Everyday Life. Kim is also a lawyer and a former CBS News legal analyst and also journalist and Britney Spears superfan Louise Bruton, who spoke to me about the life and the career of America's biggest pop star. I began by asking Louise to remind us about the massive cultural impact of the pop star and the woman who was an icon to so many, Britney Spears. I think the thing about Britney Spears is that no one actually really needs to be told who Britney Spears is. She is definitely one of the last big old school icons where you would definitely place her in the same category as Madonna, the Jacksons, Bruce Springsteen, where it's all American, iconic, uh, kind of a global domination is associated with them. But Britney, what, what's unusual about Britney is that she's basically been a household name in America since the age of 11. And then she reached our shores when she was the age of like 16, 17 with her debut single, Baby One More Time in 1998. And she kind of came after the big cusp of all the massive boy bands so there was kind of a change in taste for for something like her, which was a young woman appealing to a young female audience. And it just took off and she inspired a whole kind of range of pop stars afterwards. Probably every single pop star from 1998 onwards will refer back to Britney Spears as being some source of inspiration for her. And like it's like it's it's kind of hard to grasp just how big she was because the, this fame hit her hugely when she was 17 years of age and she had Pepsi deals, she had cameos in films, Her she be, was the highest grossing pop singer almost every year up until about 2012, um, if not the highest earning pop star, the highest uh, earning female pop star. So she was always earning huge amounts of money. She was breaking her own records. She was breaking chart records. Her first few albums debuted at number one. And it was only when it came to her her album Blackout, uh, which was released in 2007, that was her first album not to debut at number one because she did zero press, um, no promotion, because that was when a lot of kind of her, her mental illness problems really began to escalate. So that just shows a testament to even when she wasn't working in the same commodity that she had been before, her music still reached that point. And every, everyone had an opinion on her. Um, like she had a lot of she had the Vatican up in arms with her sexuality. She had parents' rights organizations questioning kind of the way she dressed and how provocative she was in her in her music videos. But almost every child, definitely every young woman and a lot of members of the LGBT community, they all looked to her. They all adored her. They had her on a pedestal. And I suppose with her great fame, which moved from pre kind of social media to kind of very heavy social media and paparazzi, People honed in on her like she was something for kind of our own sole entertainment purpose. And I think that that's the kind of the point that there was that switch around 2003, 2004, when camera phones, paparazzi, kind of gossip columns, all of that kind of escalated. And that's when her level of fame just became a different kind of monster entirely. Yeah, I just want to bring Kim in here for for a non-legal view, first of all. Were you a fan, Kim, or have you been observing this purely from a, from a legal perspective? Well, I'm a mother of four girls. Uh, the oldest is 22. So, I, yes, I've listened to her music through my children for for many years. And, of course, uh, Brittany started, she's from a small town in the South, uh, only a few thousand people. She was a, a you know, breakout talent um, as a young child and then ended up on uh, the Disney Musketeers show with Justin Timberlake. And, of course, that 
sort of paparazzi relationship jointly catapulted them to fame. And all of this happened, um, as was mentioned, prior to, you know, TikTok and sort of online superstardom. She preceded that. And, you know, Baby One More Time, her her video was quite provocative. And that sort of sexualizing youth certainly contributed to her immediate fame and uh, her the controversy surrounding her, but absolutely, I agree. She is uh, she's up there with Madonna. That famous picture where they kissed on stage. Um, she is she's iconic in America as far as you know, paving the way for people like Lady Gaga and others that followed her um, with this kind of superstardom for women. Okay, well, thank you, Kim. We're, well, we really want to discuss kind of what led to this conservatorship. So for that, um, Louise, could you take us back to 2007? And what I suppose, I don't know if unravelling is the right word, but that's kind of what it certainly what it looked like to outsiders. But all those incidents that that led up to this conservatorship being um, put in place. Well, I a lot of people have 2007 as, as the year where kind of things appear to go wrong. But it was really around 2003, 2004, where you could see Britney Spears retaliating against the brand of Britney Spears because she was kind of in her early 20s, kind of of legal drinking age, uh, was becoming more independent in herself. And it was around this time that the her 55 hour marriage uh, to a man named Jason Alexander happened in, in, in Las Vegas. And that was sort of a big red flag, but it was part of she was kind of going out a lot. And again, like as we kind of mentioned, it was paparazzi. So there was just endless photos of her going out, which we'd really never had before. Um, kind of in that online context, you'd normally kind of have it in just newspapers that you pick up occasionally. But this was kind of a constant diary of what Britney Spears was doing. So she went, uh, she had a tour in 2004, which was the Onyx Hotel tour. And in June of, of 2004, she actually, her last date of that tour was in Dublin. And she had to cancel the rest of the tour because she had a, a knee injury, which required surgery. And then during this point, this was when she met Kevin Federline, who was a packing dancer, who became her fiance and then became her husband within the space of about three, four months of them meeting. And she declared that she was retiring from music. So there was this kind of strange push and pull where she did not really want to be living in the public eye, but she had no choice in the matter whatsoever. And then within her own marriage to Kevin Federline, she gave birth to her first child in 2005, second child in 2006. And then all of her parenting skills were hugely put under pressure um, because she had paparazzi basically chasing her at every t- every turn. And anything she did was like, is, Br- is Britney Spears a suitable parent? Can- is Britney Spears able to be out by herself, minding children and all that? And then it, when a lot of um, medical documents that have come out since have kind of hinted or alluded to the fact that she was actually suffering with postnatal depression on top of probably a whole other kind of collection of kind of illnesses as a result of being so famous and being so isolated within that fame. And it came to the point then when she lost custody of the children in um, the, there was a custody battle from 2006, which built up to the events of January 2007, which was when she lost custody. And then she admitted herself into a rehabilitation centre for a day and then when she released herself, the next day was when she publicly shaved her head and retaliated against paparazzi who were also following her. So there was this version. We knew the Britney Spears version before who was innocent pop gal. And then suddenly she was a, a woman who became pregnant when people didn't think she should be a mother. And then suddenly she was an angry woman who was out of control. But the entire time she was just being chased and uh, her everything she did was being scrutinised. 
Um, and then that's, that kind of kept escalating because in 2007, that's when she released that album that reached just number two, her first album, Not Today, You at number one. And that was when she was in and out of rehabilitation centres. There was video evidence of her just looking completely out of it, for like want of a better phrase, um, kind of driving around Los Angeles with no purpose. Because I think that was what she felt when she didn't have access to her children. She didn't feel like she had a purpose. And she then released another album in 2008 and then went on a world tour in 2008. All the while, her father was filing these documents saying that she was incapable of looking after herself, looking after anybody else, that she was a danger to herself. And that's when the legal, um, this legal conservatorship came into action. Even though I think in 2008, she earned, um, she earned up to 58 million in 2012. So this is the period where she was meant to be most mentally unstable, but she was earning money by releasing albums, going on world tours, which is a huge, hundreds of dates across the globe. She was also a judge and X Factor. And all the while, she's the most successful celebrity perfumier. <laughs> so that would also bring in so much, so much money as well. So she was a cash cow to anyone who was involved. And she had to work to fund, to fund basically these people who were kind of like pulling her strings. Well, Louise, thank you for your encyclopedic Britney knowledge. I'm, I'm so impressed. And you brought it really up. And I'm glad you went back and, and really showed us the, the lead up to 2007, because we do tend to think of that year. But there was other things that happened before. Um, Kim, Louise mentioned uh, Jamie Spears there, the dad in all of this, who is so, so key. And I was really interested to see a quote from uh, Britney, where she said that in 2002, when her mom and dad divorced, that was the best thing to happen to her family. So I find it really fascinating that the, clearly this not good relationship that she had with her father, who was himself, you know, a recovered alcoholic, um, someone who'd had a, quite a dysfunctional childhood in a lot of ways, didn't have a great relationship, ends up being in charge of what Louise described there as this cash cow at the outset, that just sounds so unfair. So can you talk to us a bit about conservatorships? Because in Ireland, we wouldn't be as familiar with them. Sure. There's actually, I would say, um, three or four different sets of laws that kind of the stars aligned in a really negative way for Brittany under California law. Um, so as Louise was discussing, she married Kevin Federline, had these two babies um, very quickly. She was still nursing the second child when they had a high-profile separation. Um, and under under American law in most states, uh, there's a joint custody situation almost immediately. That is, or the presumption is it's a 50-50 custody situation. She had more limited custody, even though she was st still nursing the baby. And then in February of 2008, um, she had the boys and Federline's limo and bodyguard showed up to take the boys back to, to his place, which presumably she was paying for all of that uh, as far as his lifestyle. And she and any mother who's who's been nursing babies or has been separated from children, um, like some, some of us, I mean, I'm divorced and my youngest was five. It's very, very stressful to leave your children at that age. Uh, so she took the baby into the bathroom reportedly. And this is from a huge article in the New York New Yorker um, co-authored by Ronan Farrow recently where it detailed all of this, took the baby into the bathroom and wouldn't come out, handed over the older child. The, uh, reportedly, the bathroom door was not locked um, and Federline's bodyguard then called called Federline, who then called the police. And apparently there were uh, 
you know, helicopters, there were firefighters, there were uh, police with riot or with uh, axes, and they came and opened the door. The door was unlocked. She was standing there with the baby asleep, and they took the baby away. And then they, they, this is the second piece of law, the first being custody. The second is they involuntarily committed her um, in that moment. So there's a, there's a provision that enables that if someone seems like they're uh, a threat to themselves or others. But again, this is a very high standard. And in my mind, I, it's hard to imagine uh, that, that either of those things, at least from it's been, the way it's been reported, uh, would have justified that kind of draconian action. They took her. Uh, then that's when she, after that, permanently, I think, or more severely lost access to her kids, absent a, a third-party guardian, so she couldn't see her boys without another person there. And then... Um, and then a second incident happened, and it's when she was then, again, taken away. I think this involved a, a dispute with her manager. I think Louise can probably knows more about this. Um, they they utilized that provision again to involuntarily commit her. And it's during that time that her family, both her parents, then went to court and, and triggered law set of laws number three, which is what you mentioned is a conservatorship. In most parts of the United States, uh, it's called a guardianship. This is a matter of state law, not federal law. But under California law, it's called a conservatorship. And it's basically when the state uh, identifies a third party to make decisions for someone who is incapacitated. There are two primary laws under California. One has to do with mental disability, severe mental illness. She was not put in a conservatorship under that provision. There's a more general one called a probate conservatorship. That's the one that when she was involuntarily committed the second time, that's the one that her father and and with her mother's, I think, consent went to the court and what's amazing here, this is set of flaws number four, um, is in order to implement a probate conservatorship, there, California law requires there be notice to the person who's going to be under the conservatorship. There's an exception to that notice requirement, which the judge triggered here. So she wasn't even notified that she was um, put under being put under this conservatorship. Reportedly, the entire hearing lasted 10 minutes. There was no actual witnesses. And one of the doctors that testified supposedly about her mental health later recanted and said, I don't know why she's still under this conservatorship. But that one loop is for the, for generally for people that are mentally disabled or have had a major brain injury or have severe dementia or Alzheimer's. It's not for, um, as Louise indicated, someone who not only is having world records, uh, new hit albums, but I think made $137 million in her residency in Las Vegas. She had a standing show during all of this. Um, so she's capable of that kind of performance level that most of us can't even fathom. Um, but then the last piece is, uh, even though she didn't get notice, it was a temporary conservatorship, but at some point, I think eight or nine months after it was made permanent and it's been in place for, for 13 years. And it's quite draconian to the point where she has no control over her finances. She's given a $2,000 a week budget that she has to log every purchase. Um, and she, she can't have her own phone. She can't decide uh, who her friends are. And apparently, you know, she can't drive. Apparently she wanted to have her, her, uh, her um, birth control device removed. And even with that, she can't have that done without the consent of her father. And there've been others that have moved in and out. The father has a lot of 
primary control. Then there have been people with financial control in and out. And then there was another conservator that was appointed to deal with some, some of her personal relationships. But at the end of the day, he's really been the one in charge. And she amazingly has not had access to her own counsel until recently. And as I wrote in a piece for a, a magazine called The Hill online, uh, it's really, a, as a constitutional scholar, amazing as a matter of due process, because uh, under the Constitution of the United States, it dates back to the Magna Carta, which I'm sure you're all familiar with. You don't, government can't take your liberty away without without having a hearing. Uh, and she hasn't really had access to a representative to give her side of the story to provide serious legal counsel. And as Louise indicated, I mean, she did get a court-appointed lawyer. That that guy has made half a million dollars a year just on fees that she's paying to represent her. I was just going to say, she's paying the fees. I think that's one of the most, one of the other unbelievable things about this. She has to pay for all the conservators' legal fees as well as her own. But just before I bring Louise back in, um, Kim, as a lawyer, as a constitutional lawyer, is it is it astounding to you, given what you've just said? It sounds quite irregular that this happened. And what's your what's your take on how it happened? It is extraordinary. It's actually shocking um, because the standards for this kind of involuntary treatment, again, it's it varies by state law, um, are very, very, very high. Uh, I mean, you know, when you say someone has to be a, a risk to themselves or others, they have to be on the verge of some kind of suicide. And you have to be able to prove that generally. And then usually it's a temporary conservatorship or guardianship. Uh, we do have this sad history in America of involuntarily in the 19, up to the 19th century, maybe the early 20th century, women being involuntary committed to mental institutions because their husbands were tired of them. I mean, women didn't have the right to vote until 1919 in this in America, which is astonishing. So I have zero doubt that there's something deeply, deeply gendered about this whole story that if it were Federline uh, or Justin Bieber or Michael Jackson or all these other people, ma- males, uh, that maybe weren't, you know, the from the paparazzi standpoint, stellar parents, uh, even given this kind of stress, there's no way they would have been put under this kind of control. Um, and I just, I don't understand these judges. I, I just really don't understand what's going on with these judges, uh, that the judges are allowing this with such paltry evidence. And it sounds like, as you indicated, her dad doesn't have a record of being competent to manage this kind of a massive fortune. And of course, the isolation is this vicious cycle. So she gets depressed with the isolation. She starts acting odd. She doesn't have any friends. She doesn't have any confidence. I mean, this report I mentioned, apparently one of her closest uh, sort of friends is is was her maid or her her housekeeper who said she's an excellent mother. But if you're that depressed, then they go back presumably and say, "Listen, she's acting weird. We need a conservatorship." So it's this vicious cycle. And the last piece is the court has kept this what we call under seal. So so even though she has indicated on the record that she wants the the reasons for her conservatorship to be made public, there isn't even any public scrutiny as to what the justification is for this level of lockdown and limitation on her on her individual liberties because the judges sealed this. It's really, really strange. I don't understand why these judges um, have not given her more freedom. Thank you very much for that. Um, Louise, talk to us about Team Brittany because while she was performing and she was, as she said herself recently, she was telling everyone she was happy, nothing to see here. Fans, because... 
Britney's fans are very, very fierce and loyal. They were coming up to say, this isn't right. We're going to speak out about this. But they were sort of dismissed as conspiracy theorists. Well, not surprisingly by Jamie Spears, the dad. But tell us about Team Britney and that movement. Well, the terrifying thing is a lot of these things that were penned out as conspiracy theories actually ended up being completely true, which makes the whole thing just sound more ludicrous. Like this, it doesn't feel like reality because it's just so absurd, the whole thing. So Britney Spears hasn't really publicly spoken since about 2008. And that was when she did an MTV documentary called For the Record. And she was so candid in it. It's worth a it's 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 on the Internet somewhere. It's called Britney For the Record. Worth watching because she just talks about how she doesn't have any control in her life, that she's so sad and that she used to be a cool chick and she no longer is that anymore. And she's only she's in her late 20s in this. Like she's still a really young woman, has two children, has a huge career, but has no control. So as social media entered our lives, Britney's Instagram accounts and her Twitter accounts were all normally just promotional tools that were definitely used just by her kind of her press or her management. But then around 2017, 2018, it was very clear that Britney had the passwords and she was posting her own content, which was her just like goofing around with her kids and um, doing little fashion shows in her house. And kind of when you come to realise later that when she did these fashion shows, it was because she didn't have money to buy clothes that she wanted and was then displaying these new items that she had. So people were putting it down as silly. But when you look down, this was her only access to a social life. This is her only access to reality. Um, So people were beginning to think that this was the way that they could communicate with Britney. And that's where the Free Britney campaign kind of came from, where people would leave comments on her Instagram uh, posts saying, if you need help, wear red in in the next photo. And she would do that. And then people people felt that she was sending subliminal messages because everything that she had to post, she had to run by her management um, and they would then kind of oversee whatever caption she put up or whatever comment. So it was all, it's all extremely kind of Black Mirror. And there is actually an episode of Black Mirror, which Miley Cyrus starred in about a pop star who was kind of held against her will when she began to retaliate against uh, kind of parental management, which was the position that Britney Spears was also in. Um, so the, one of the conspiracy theories was that people believed that her management were speeding up her videos to make her seem more erratic and, to, and they were pitching up her voice to a higher, higher level so that she was saying more like a chipmunk. And everyone's like, mm, that's that's a bit far fetched. But then when we heard her give her testimonial, which was maybe the first time that we've heard her speak without someone telling her what to say in 13, 14 years of her of her life. Um, we heard that her voice actually is much deeper and she does, even though she was speaking at kind of a quick pace to get it to fill as much as she could in these 20 minutes, she was still, it was, it was, she was so coherent and she was so smart and she really made her case that when you look back at everything that we did here, we're like, that was all manipulated. Like that was true. Louise, tell us about the testimony. I'd like to bring you in as well, Kim. What did you think about that? I mean, it's extraordinary. We play a bit of it earlier in the in the the show. What did it feel like listening to her as a fan, Louise, and as someone who's followed this story? Well, like, like, so I, I am a super fan. I have to <laughs> have to really just outline that. I think that's clear. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, as the fans, we knew this was happening. So every time that she would do a world tour, we would be like, thank God she seems okay but we would know that there was a lot more going on in the backgrounds. So then whenever I would read reviews of her albums or her live concerts and I was like, she's terrible, she's not as good as Beyonce, she looks dead in the eyes, you'd be like, well, yeah, 
because she's not living a life that's free. She's in a place where she doesn't want to be. Someone is telling her where to go. And it was just such a relief to actually hear her say that for the last few years, we were not seeing the person that she wanted to be, which made everything make total sense. And kind of when I when I think of kind of all the reviewers or the critics who were kind of, were actually kind of mean in their approach towards it, like I hope that people kind of can step back and be like, oh, she was part of a machine that is just not it's in no way relatable to anybody else. But she but there are like certain qualities of Britney Spears that still kind of came through. Like she is incredibly polite. She kept referring to the judge as ma'am. She was she she kind of got us so much information in and she wasn't even making about herself. She was talking about all the other cases of kind of these guardianships across America that are abusive. And she was talking about when she'd go into rehabilitation centres that she was forced into. She was like, when I was there, nobody else was looked after. So she was kind of criticising the, the the care model in America and what happens when someone with money comes in. So that appears to me to be someone who is a lot smarter than what the public kind of presentation of her has been. Um, but also it was quite shocking to know that I don't think she's fully aware of what is going on in the world because when it came to kind of COVID and lockdown, she would notice that her maids or her mother would have their hair down or their, their hair done or their nails done. And she wasn't allowed to get that done in a year and a half. But she she didn't know what was going on. And I think um, Paris Hilton, who was a good friend of hers, had said separately that she had to explain to Brittany what Gmail was. So this is like a woman who's about is turning 40 quite soon, didn't know about Gmail, the like the email service that we've all been using. So so many just casual liberties have been completely taken away from her. And like if she wants to retire from this point on, that is absolutely allowed because she just needs to like she needs to have her friends. She says that she isn't even allowed to see her friends who live eight minutes down the road from her. And she got all of that out. And I hope that she's been looked after now because you could feel the sense of relief and and the rapid space in which she was uh, pace in which she was speaking. Like she's been dying to say this for so long, but just never had the opportunity. Kim, bring us up to speed with the legal stuff now, because she's trying to get him removed or he removed himself as conservator in 2019 due to health reasons, the dad, but he still retains control over her finances. So what's Brittany trying to achieve now and how likely do you think it is that she's going to get what she so clearly wants, which is her freedom back, her life back? Well, it looks to me like this free Britney movement, this the fans kind of coalescing around getting her some due process, did somehow produce... Her ability to hire her own lawyer, who is uh, has a strong reputation as a very um, confident and effective uh, advocate. And two days ago, the new lawyer filed a 120-page petition with the California court asking to have her father removed um, as the financial guardian, uh, financial conservator over her fortune and lists things like, you know, the amount of money he's been kind of siphoning off um, a percentage of her her earnings just automatically in, um, in when she was in residency in Las Vegas, totaling millions of dollars. He he's, he's gives himself a monthly stipend, cash stipend, that's more than she gets uh, for herself. Um, he, he gets a percentage of her 2011 uh, tour, you know, income. And so the, I, what I think is going to happen with, with a real lawyer here is the judge is going to have no choice but to to give her more independence. And just to be clear, a couple things. One is we still don't know what allegedly is 
so wrong with Britney Spears that justified this kind of draconian lockdown 13 years ago. I mean, I've looked and maybe Louise knows there's allegations of postpartum depression. That is completely normal. That doesn't mean you lose access to your freedom. There are allegations of maybe some substance abuse. You know, we've got a massive opioid epidemic in the United States. It doesn't mean you lose your children and you lose access to your ability to manage your own life. Um, so so that that is... That's still, in my mind, a huge mystery. So I hope, in addition to her getting some independence, that we're going to get some transparency and see what actually happened here. California needs to amend its laws um, to, to not allow this kind of ha- thing to happen. And I really don't think it would have happened had it not been for her massive fame and her massive earning potential and the number of many, many people who are you know on the dole. Um, and I should also add, she hasn't objected to having... Uh, somebody help her with this stuff, even having a conservator. She just doesn't want this level of lockdown. And there's an alternative that this court can authorize. And I can't remember the legal terminology off the top of my head, but basically almost like an advisor. The court can say, listen, you know, she started very young. It's a lot of money. Let's put someone in play to help her make good decisions, but it's still ultimately her call. And again, I frankly don't understand how these judges have allowed this to continue absent serious, serious, serious evidence of of a danger to herself and others. And this, again, as Louise indicated, is a woman who's making millions and still topping the pop charts and being on television shows and quite, quite articulate and seems to have her act together. I mean, if you watch her Instagram, sometimes there are things that maybe look a little a little kooky, but that doesn't mean she she should lose her freedom. I mean, that's really that's really the question here. She's allowed to make some mistakes. I mean, she's allowed yeah. to be herself. Louise, going back to you, I mean, I'm fascinated by the father thing because I mentioned earlier about they're not they didn't have a good relationship. I mean, I, I read in the New York Times, I think, that he currently now lives down a winding road in Louisiana in a glorified camper van, an RV, outside a warehouse which is full of all the the um, trappings of his daughter's success, all the relics from her career. Um, he's clearly made t- a ton load of money from her. What What's your take on that and where what Britney will do now and how this will all end? It's such an incredible story and so sad. Well, I think the the big question mark about why Jamie is so involved now is because he wasn't actually present for a lot of her career. Like when, when Britney was a young girl and like auditioning for the Mickey Mouse Club at the age of 10, um, it was uh, her mother, Lynn, who would move to New York and move around with, um, with Britney and her younger sister, Jamie Lynn. She was the one who was kind of looking after everything and kind of at her side. And when the parents did separate, he was just sort of removed from their life. They kind of, he just he just wasn't there. So the fact that like it would have made far more sense for Lynn to be the one to step in because they had a visible and loving relationship. Um, but I think but it's it the, the thing with family and management in celebrity, it's something historically is just it's a terrible idea when you look at like the Jacksons and what happened there. And um, like even Beyonce, she, her father used to be her manager and then she kind of cut ties with him and moved on. And that's when she actually uh, gained more creative control um, with her career and like kind of cracked it up a notch. So there is, there is a history of that where when there is kind of money changing hands and the 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 source of income is your child. No good comes from that. Like it's just like that. That is the truth. Um, but like what I, I do hope t- is that Britney, the only one who actually knows what's happened during all of this is Britney Spears. And the only time that we've heard her even give a snippet was last month 
when she had a 20 minute rushed uh, testimonial over Skype or over Zoom or something like that. That nothing else. And I would just like that she discovers an avenue for herself where she can actually tell her story and where um, because even after the testimony, you know, all members of her family going to the press saying this isn't true, this isn't true. And she hasn't responded back because she can't. So she can. They, it's very easy for them to always paint her as cra- as crazy when she has no no space to respond. So I hope that she's able to build a team around her. Like um, Larry Ru- Rudolph, her manager, has actually since retired as her manager. Um, who he's been her manager since day one. There was a, a blip in by two thousand and seven, two thousand and nine, where he wasn't her manager. Um, but he's like, if Britney retires, then I retire. So there does seem to be a slight element of care from him there. But it again, it's all a big mystery because Britney Spears just hasn't got the chance to to speak out. And and Louise, on a wider level, alluding to something that Kim mentioned earlier about the gendered aspect of this. I mean, are we talking about that trope of women being made out to be crazy so that men can then control them, can get what they want out of them? I mean, it sounds like such a bloody, it's almost Margaret Atwood-esque or all those kind of things. But that's what we're dealing with here. And I suppose it happens to other women in the music industry, too. And it's it's something that maybe if something good comes from this, that maybe, you know, this will stop happening, that it's exposed this very patriarchal attitude towards these young female artists. Yeah, I think it's very telling when you see the other celebrities who, who have chimed in on their support of Britney Spears. Like we've had Paris Hilton, um, who when she was a teenager was sent away to these camps for troubled and misbehaving teenage girls. Um, when she might have just been a bit rebellious as a teenager, as teenagers are want to do. Um, you had Miley Cyrus, who had been deemed for most of her 20s to be losing the plot. And she's only 28 now, so still incredibly young. You had Mariah Carey, who ha- had uh, a famous public meltdown. And I have kind of meltdown in inverted commas. She was driven to the point of exhaustion because she didn't have a day off. Like th- there's so many women who are kind of rallying around because they have had some insight to what that life is like, but they didn't reach that point of a breakdown. Whereas, um, say, like Justin Bieber can just release an album um, where it, there's a hint of an apology and everyone's like, oh, he's fine, even though he was he was doing he was like actively making other people's lives difficult, <laughs> uh, like he had criminal he with criminal kind of records and all that kind of thing. Um, so there is a huge mistreatment where it's when men do it, they're kind of um, deep artists when women do it. They are kind of resenting control and their their trouble. Like that's the thing. It's it's a very and it, it goes back with like if you can compare like famously difficult men like Bob Dylan, Van Morrison, who's calling for them to be kind of locked up. Like it's it's just such a it's a such a different um conversation. And I suppose as well because it's pop music by a blonde woman. There's just so many elements of femininity that are kind of drawn down as evil um and, and and kind of bad news. So yeah, it it does it's hugely gendered and I hope that with with Britney Spears that it does make the lives of women working in the entertainment industry a much safer place. Um because I we haven't even near heard the half of what's happened to Britney. And I'd say once she gets that out, we're going to hear so many celebrities from the last kind of from her kind of uh, time frame coming forward and saying that this happened to them, too. OK, uh, final word to you, Kim. What, what's your overall take on, on what's going to happen now and what this says, I suppose, in the wider issue of conservatorships in, in America? I mean, Brittany mentioned it, you know, there's other people living in these very draconian sort of lockdown situations as well. And it's obviously something that she's concerned of. It's, it's really great that she's not just thinking about herself. She sees this system as being very corrupt and broken. So what do you what impact do you think all of this will have? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, I should add, uh, you know, 
Kevin Federline accused Jamie Spears of child abuse as well. I mean, I think that was dropped. And I say that again, because it seems like there are two standards. There's one standard for moms and one standard for men. And that goes across not just conservatorships, but divorce, custody arrangements, um, as misogyny in general, which is alive and well in the United States in this culture. So, you know, I, I haven't followed her career with that kind of care and sort of thought when I first heard about this, oh, that's a tabloid situation. And then was asked um, to do a piece on it. And then I dug deep into the law. And again, absolutely astonishing, shocking violations of core due process constitutional protections here. This is not a gray area. It's pretty black and white. So I do hope now that we're having this this broader conversation about the egregiousness of this and the reasons behind it, which cannot be dissociated from the fact that she is a a very successful woman who has gotten part to where she is based on how gorgeous she is and how talented she is and how there's kind of this resentment around it uh, in, in our culture. So, so I think the fact that she is so famous and that, you know, the, the press is really covering this in the United States and we're shifting the conversation. It's almost like the me too movement part two, which is sort of fizzled out here. People have said, Oh, women are a little get too aggressive. And you know, it's so hard for men because now they don't even know how to talk to people, etc. I think she has kind of ripped the bandaid off and shown, listen, this goes much, much deeper than, you know, how you speak to somebody over the water cool and the water cooler. So I think we're going, this story is not going away. And I agree with Louise, it's going to continue to leak out. And I hope it shifts some people's mindsets around not just conservatorships, but the, the double standard around women and mothers in this country. As you've been sp- both been speaking, um, and thank you so much for being so eloquent about such an important topic. Uh, I've been thinking about Ireland and our tendency to lock up problematic, troubled women. And we had various things, Kim, like Magdalene laundries. And, and if, we, if, we, if women did things that weren't considered acceptable to society, it was lock them up, it was put them away, make them unseen. And it's incredible, isn't it, um, Louise, that those things, those echoes still happening to someone as hugely talented and successful as Britney Spears. It's mind boggling. Yeah, if anyone has read Sinead O'Connor's book, um, like that, that is a great example of someone who was able to back out of this kind of rat race when they saw what was going on. And even still, Sinead O'Connor was then completely villainized and made out to be a lunatic and all this kind of thing. So, but Sinead has always been able to tell us what's going on because she was able to back out of that point where she realized that this avenue of fame was not for her. And yeah, it, it just seems that this kind of fame, it is definitely a type of prison um, because they're contracted and contracted into these living arrangements that they may not have a clue what, what they're signing into when they're ages 16, 17, 18, or even, I mean, anyone anyone can sign a contract that they didn't read the small print in. And Britney Spears is just trying to get out of that. And I think that should be just granted to her. Okay. Hashtag free Britney, I think, is uh, is what we're all saying as well. And and like you said, Kim, so well, the wider implications of, of the focus on this story hopefully will will be good for, for w- women in general and not just in the music industry. But I think it's, it's shining a light on something that people do think is to do with workplace harassment or flirting when it's so much deeper. And that patriarchal hold on women clearly is still very much there, not just in America, but all over the world. So thank you both very much. Um, it's, a, it's a fascinating story. And Louise, I have to commend your, like I say, encyclopedic Brittany knowledge. And thank you, Kim, for coming with the, with the really strong legal views as well. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 
That was Louise Bruton and Kim Well there. And thanks very much to them. We'll watch with interest what happens next. That's all we have time for. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, by Suzanne Brennan and Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Contact us on social, on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter using at IT Women's Podcast. And you can email us on the women's podcast at irishtimes.com. We love hearing from you. Until next time, mind yourselves and thanks very much for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.